Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Sometimes we also discuss Takashi 69's legal troubles. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and it was an interesting weekend in college basketball. From a game's perspective, Iowa beat Michigan, Bowling Green beat Buffalo. Indiana shocked Michigan State at the Breslin Center. Arkansas shocked LSU at the Maravich Assembly Center. North Carolina won at Louisville. Mississippi State won at Ole Miss. Virginia Tech humiliated NC State in Raleigh. Kentucky rallied to beat Florida at the vaunted O-Dome. Zion dunked a lot. We're going to get to some of that, perhaps most of that, uh, before this podcast is done. But I wanted to start with the big news from Friday night, and that is that the NCAA finally ruled on Silvio D'Souza, and it was not a favorable ruling for Silvio or for Kansas. He's suspended rest of the season and all of next season. In other words, the NCAA didn't technically end his college career, but it came really close. KU will appeal, and perhaps the appeal will be successful. But if not, uh, Silvio D'Souza will not play for Kansas again until the 2020-21 season, and that's if he ever plays for Kansas again at all. Norlander, I, I got a ton of thoughts on this topic, but – uh, let me hear yours first. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and be brief here, Parrish, because I want to let you uh, kind of take your swings. I do have a column up that went up, obviously, on Friday night after the ruling came out at CBSSports.com. If you haven't read it, please feel free to go go and check on that. Um, I would love to have been in the room uh, or rooms as this decision uh, came to be. I would love to know the people on um, the reinstatement committee, which is not, which by the way is not like the committee on infractions that like came down on Missouri and stuff like that. Different groups operating here within the NCAA. I think that's important to remember. There are there are different uh, scenarios and different reasons why teams or players might receive suspensions. Sylvia was trying to get reinstated, and he had this voted against him. I have a hard time believing that human beings involved in this decision could have truly been satisfied with the verdict that they came down on. It's completely unfair. Um, I mentioned a particular uh, resolution. Weirdly enough, by the way, so we're in Slack on Friday and Parrish dropped something. It, ha- it could have been all of four or five minutes before I actually put it on the page, um, the solution, but I'll let Parrish bring it up. I thought that was just way too funny that we were uh, on the same wavelength there, Parrish, because I don't think we had ever discussed that before. I uh, heard from a number of people in college basketball, coaches and otherwise, that were... Um, frankly, killing the NCAA over this. One of them quoted in the story. And I, you have to have the rule there, but I, I don't agree with the severity of it whatsoever. Um, this is, I'll tag it with this and I'll, I'll, you know, trust me, I got 13 more minutes, but I'm going to reserve myself on the podcast. A lot of what I think is in the column. Um, this, though, to me, is the first indication that the NCAA is using plenty of what came up in court. I will remind listeners that Silvio D'Souza was not sat by Kansas until the very day that the verdicts came down against the three Adidas men in October, and he had been sitting since then. Before that, he was expected to play. Um, But this is the first instance where we are seeing the NCAA use what came up in court as evidence uh, to its own investigations and rulings, and it has come down harshly on yet another player. Um, that's an uncomfortable stance as it takes its time getting to the schools and the coaches and the 2019 NCAA tournament's not going to be interfered with Parrish, but uh, I, it just doesn't sit well with me that you have all of these players continually getting hit with these suspensions with their level of guilt and knowledge in high doubt, and yet they're the ones, Duan Hernandez in Miami, Brian Bowen. Um, there have been others like Aiton who was allowed to play. I can't make sense of what you know why one can and one can't. And yes, for those listening that might be screaming about what about the Zion Williamson factor, I can't answer that for you. Other than to say that, you know, when that came out, you know, obviously I made some calls and you know was told that Duke was extremely diligent in checking on Williamson's background, but that's not going to stop the cynics and skeptics from basically screaming, why is Silvio D'Souza allowed to play when there was a transcript of a phone call between the now uh, found guilty Merle Coe talking with Kansas assistant Curtis Townsend about why Zion Williamson's uh, re- you know family member was seeking similar things to what uh, Silvio D'Souza's was. You know, This is a whole messy thing, but D'Souza should not be sitting two years. Well, um, I think I can't answer that question of why did DeAndre Ayton get to continue to play and why did uh, why is Zion playing and why Silvio was not allowed to play. Uh, the answer to that is Kansas held Silvio D'Souza out. 
until it ruled him ineligible at the, I, I guess, advice of the NCAA so that they could start the reinstatement process. Otherwise, um, this was going to be a, an even lengthier situation. In other words, if Kansas, because I had a coach ask me this this morning, you know, why did, and he went all the way back, this coach did to Cam Newton. Why, when this stuff came out about Cam Newton, that his father had possibly um, accepted impermissible benefits um, for his son to go to Auburn, why did Cam Newton get to continue to play, but then Sylvia D'Souza doesn't? Well, it, it's very simple. Auburn just said, you know what? We, we ain't sitting him. We're going to play him. And then if you guys can investigate and find us or the family guilty of something improper, then we'll deal with that if we have to deal with that, and we'll vacate if we have to vacate, but we are not sitting down our player. That is also what Arizona essentially did with DeAndre Ayton last season. They just said, we're not, we're going to let him play. We don't think anything's happened. And even if we think something might have happened, we don't think you can prove it. And if you can't prove it someday, then we'll have to maybe vacate everything. But we're going to, um, we're going to keep playing our player. What Kansas decided in advance of this season is that there was a lot of evidence that suggested something improper went on with Silvio D'Souza. And if they would have been playing him this season, they would have risked someday vacating whatever happened in this season. Because they're probably going to have to vacate what happened last season. That's yes. the Final Four because Silvio was involved. And so what Kansas decided, and I think wisely, is that we just can't risk that. So they set him out. Then they rule him ineligible. Then they seek reinstatement. And that's how we got to the conclusion that we got to on Friday night. Does that make sense? It does. It, it, it absolutely makes sense. And it's important to remember with all of these cases that while um, – motivations for potential NCAA infractions and violations can be similar. Details surrounding each player, school, potential booster are never the same. And it's the, it's, you know, it's the unending problem, frankly, with the NCAA and how it hands out punishments. But Parrish, you're, you're, uh, you're on the money with that. But with D'Souza specifically, I do think this was the, the truly the first case because the Bowen stuff, even though the suspension came down, um, that wasn't before that case went to trial. And a lot of the stuff with Hernandez um, was not tied specifically to stuff that came up in the trial. Um, and just as a quick aside, oh, by the way, we have now had all of the assistant coaches that were tied to the what was to be the third trial. We haven't brought stuff on the podcast, but we should remind listeners if, if they're waiting for something that might not even happen now. Uh, Book Richardson, Lamont Evans, and Tony Bland – have all pleaded guilty, so there are still Dawkins and um, uh, Dawkins and Merle Coach still are scheduled to go to that same trial again. It remains to be seen if they will plead guilty. If they do, we will not ha have more potential new evidence, phone call stuff that that could come out in that trial because if they all plead guilty, it won't go to trial. Chuck Person still scheduled to go, but we had not touched that on that in the pod GP. So I just uh, figured might as well now is a better time than any to uh, to bring it up and remind listeners. But anyway, continue with uh, with I know I know you still got plenty in the chamber here on the D'Souza stuff. Yeah, so because I think I don't know what the majority or minority opinion is. I don't guess, but certainly my thoughts that I shared on Twitter Friday night ran counter to to most people who do what we do and what they were saying because it seemed like um, almost the consensus was this sucks, this is unfair, screw the NCAA, and. I guess I would just go slightly in a different direction here. Um, I, I'm on record for more than a decade now of telling you I hate amateurism. I hate these rules. I think they're ridiculous. The idea that the NCAA and basketball coaches and universities can can profit off of the talents of these young people, but the young people can't and the people around them can't is, is uh, I think, morally wrong. Um, completely uh, outdated and something that I, I hope does change someday and, and sooner rather than later. I hate the rules, but the rules are in place. And so if you get caught violating the rules, there is a price to, to, to pay. Um, I feel badly for Silvio because there is no evidence whatsoever that he knew what was going on. And I actually believe that he did not know what was going on. So when he has his college career ripped away from him, and the, really, the only thing he's guilty of is trusting an adult in his life. That sucks. And I'm sympathetic to that. And it's why I would not have been outraged if the NCAA would have handled this differently. 
because I'm on a very human level sympathetic toward um, toward his situation. By all accounts, he's a, he's a he's a rock solid young man, good student, hard worker, who is now being punished for something he had nothing to do with. Um, that sucks. But I don't know what the alternative to punishing him would actually be. Although, and you referenced it, and I will get to it eventually. Um, I do think there was a compromise, a a reasonable solution here that almost anybody could have endorsed. Um, but I will just say that the alternative to the NCAA effectively ending his college career is allowing Kansas to play a player who is only on campus because somebody paid his guardian to get him to enroll at Kansas, which is why I have no idea how – and I have friends um, on that Kansas staff. I respect the Kansas staff. I have friends in the Kansas administration. And so I know they disagree with me on every level here, but I'm just being honest. I don't understand how anybody, whether it's the athletic director or the head basketball coach at Kansas, can be so indignant as it relates to this case. And I'll make this really simple. The only reason Silvio D'Souza is at Kansas is because somebody was paid to send him there. That's it. More specifically, the same guy, TJ Gasnola, whose phone records show he texted Bill Self and told him he'd do anything and everything to help Kansas get players. That guy paid Silvio D'Souza's guardian $2,500 and agreed to pay him more, at which point Silvio D'Souza committed to Kansas. Those are the accepted facts of this case. And now Kansas is enraged that the NCAA won't let it use a player who is only there because his guardian was paid to send him there? I mean, am I the only one that thinks that's the funniest thing ever? Norlander, please explain to me how anybody at Kansas with a straight face can say they should be able to use a player the NCAA has determined is only at Kansas because his guardian was paid to send him to Kansas. The reason why Kansas is reacting this way is because from what we understand certain agreements on facts and circumstances with the case had to be made by both sides in order for the process to even uh, move forward. One of them being that Kansas had to accept and acknowledge that TJ Gasnola would be defined in the NCAA's purview and Kansas's for the, for the effects of this case as a booster. And because of that, it's really what, what tra- <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's really just, uh, it, it was a hell of a chess move by the NCAA here. Um, perhaps it was being uh, pedantic in, in the way that it wanted to set this up, but Kansas was like, we have no choice but to say that Gasnola was, was a booster in this case. I'm, Kansas, will, Kansas refutes that, but it had to accept that to get to the, to the next point where he would even be considered for reinstatement. And then the NCAA says, okay, well, you know what? If he's a booster, then this is what we got to do. Here's here are the circumstances surrounding it, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna give him a two year suspension. The point you're making is not inaccurate at all. I don't think Kansas was expecting this harsh of a punishment. I'll also add another detail. When I sat in that courtroom, I heard Casnola say that the intention was to pay Fenny Falmain, Silvio D'Souza's guardian, another twenty thousand dollars, and the only reason that did not happen was the movement of this case and it going public. So that is also, although it's not, hasn't been, uh, in, you know, detailed extensively by the NCAA in its release or obviously mentioned by Kansas, uh, the motivations of Gasnola to pay Falmain were very much on the table. And also, this is why Duan Hernandez in Miami was sat for more than a year or would be. He's now declared for the draft is because he never technically signed an agreement with Christian Dawkins, but he entered into an arrangement. And so because the intention was there, even though, you know, Evan Daniels reported that he received, you know, less than $500. I actually had multiple sources confirm that with me. It doesn't matter. In the eyes of the NCAA, you had set forth to do this. And so I think those similar principles are taking play here. Um, here's what I would say about the booster thing, because that is what the Kansas athletic director, um, was explaining, um, in, in advance of Kansas's win over Texas tech on Saturday. He said, listen, they're saying that we had a booster who paid Sylvia D'Souza's guardian to get him to come to Kansas. But like TJ Gasnola is not really a Kansas booster. We were just told if you want to expedite this process, and not have to wait for us to investigate and then rule, then you need to 
label him a booster, rule him ineligible, and then and then seek reinstatement. So that's the only reason we labeled TJ Gasnola a booster because it was our only real option. We had no good alternative. But we don't actually believe TJ Gasnola fits the description of a booster. And I understand that, that TJ Gasnola might not actually fall under the umbrella of what a booster typically or traditionally is. But here's what I would say to that. I don't care. Because TJ Gasnola bought Silvio D'Souza for the exact same reason a Kansas booster would. TJ Gasnola paid Silvio D'Souza's guardian for the exact same reason a Kansas booster would to get him on campus because he was working for Kansas, because he wanted good things for Kansas. So I don't really care if he if he technically qualifies as a booster because his it doesn't change the facts of the case or the intent of the violation. When you hear an Alabama booster went out and bought an Alabama football player, why was he doing that? If an Alabama booster paid a, a guardian of, an, of a football player, why was he doing that? To get him to go to Alabama. Well, why was T.J. Gasnola paying uh, uh, Sylvia D'Souza's guardian to get him to go to Kansas. So the motivation is the exact same, regardless of whether he's technically a booster or not. He's a guy who worked for Adidas, where Kansas had a, a bazillion-dollar contract, and he's got text messages that show him telling Bill Self, I will do anything I have to do to get you the players. The only time I've ever failed you is with DeAndre Ayton, right. LOL. Yes. So his motivation is that of exactly what a traditional booster operating outside of the rule book would do. I'm going to pay this person money to get this person to enroll at the school I want him to en- enroll at. So I, I've had some Kansas fans say, he's not really a booster. I don't really care. He was operating exactly the way a booster would operate. Um, his intent was was clear. He wasn't paying Sylvia D'Souza's guardian to help with the uh, school. He was paying to to ensure that he enrolled at Kansas. That's the truth. And the only person denying that, it's the Guardian, who is frankly um, a liar. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, it, yeah. And, and people bring up the Dewan Hernandez thing. I would say this to that: the reason I feel sorry for Silvio as an individual, and not so much with Dewan Hernandez, is because Dewan Hernandez did know what he was doing. Dewan mm-hmm. again, the rules suck, but they are the rules, and Dewan Hernandez was was knowingly violating the rules, so he gets what he gets. I don't care, but. Uh, Silvio, where I'm sympathetic toward him, is he, he, by all accounts, didn't know. But that doesn't mean that he can't be punished or shouldn't be punished because these are the rules in place. And if you don't punish a player mm-hmm. um, for the actions of the adults in charge of him, then that'll just be the go-to move yes. every time. What that means every time is a guardian, parent, coach, whomever, accepts whatever to send a player somewhere. Odds are you won't get caught because it's hard to get caught. But if you do get caught, you just say, hey, the player didn't know. And then the NCAA says, well, if the player didn't know, the player didn't know. That's, that, that, that system does not work. And so if you're going to tie yourself to the concept of amateurism, you've got to hold the student athletes accountable um, for the actions of the adults handling the recruitment or else there's just no way to enforce the rules. I, I agree, but I would also extend that to say, well, then that's fine. But if you're going to – if you're going to say that the the student athletes are going to have to pay a price and the and you have to you have to safeguard against this, I understand that. Well, then hell, for every head coach that has his staff to do something, the exact same principle needs to be applied. Okay, especially with the adults, especially when you know, we all know the coaches are aware of so much of this stuff that's going on, and if they're not, then it falls on them to be aware of it. I'm sorry, but when I see these, particularly like you know. D'Souza or anyone that is trying to make a way to get into play major college athletics as a way of greatly improving their life, okay? And the motivations of of guardians or parents or whatever that might be, you know, working machinations above their head, who knows how much they do know and don't know. There's probably plenty of instances where the players are extremely privy to this and they are told to play none the wiser. I get that. But, you know... It feels a little gross, or even more than a little gross, when you have these adults screwing up the screwing up the process, and now you've got D'Souza, who's not like this surefire NBA player and has real-world impact on his future earnings in basketball. You know, he's originally from Africa. Who knows what his path is going to take him on now after all this? Um, 
I do I do have real sympathy for D'Souza, and the NCAA could have been more innovative and creative. I don't give a damn if the current rule book doesn't allow for it. You know what? The rule book didn't pr- uh, project that we would have an FBI investigation, and oh, by the way, Mark Emmert and that commission enabled change in the rule book in relatively quick fashion by NCAA standards. You could have done something different than just say you've got to sit at least two years. Well, the the thing um, that I think the NCAA should have done, even more than, because I, I I think you have to punish Silvio D'Souza in some way. Otherwise, again, it's impossible to enforce the rules. You and I are on the same page here, and we both came up with this independent of each other. Um, what I would have done if I were working for the NCAA. Well, well let, first off, let me say this, because you made a point. You want to start seeing head coach. If players are going to be held accountable for the adults in their life, you want to see head coaches be held accountable for the assistants in their life. And that would mean, in theory, Andy Enfield at USC, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, any other coach who had an assistant coach wrapped up in this FBI investigation, Sean Miller uh, at Arizona. I would say the NCAA rules are written to do that now. It's how you get the um, coach control charges where it cost Jim Beheim nine games and cost whomever else uh, a, a suspension. Like the rules are in place to hold um, head coaches accountable for the actions of their assistant coaches. It's just that as it relates to the FBI investigation, the NCAA hasn't even like investigated that stuff yet. So we're not there yet. Yes. I would assume someday Sean Miller is going to have to get hit with a coach control charge and have to serve some sort of something. But what the NCAA can't do is fire coaches. So they will punish eventually the coaches who were running these programs who had the assistant coaches wild now, but all they can do is punish. They cannot fire, and they can make it to where a school feels like it's it's in its best interest to fire. Um, But, um, you know, the, the, the... the system set up the way it's set up. I don't agree. It does seem on a very surface level ridiculous to watch Brian Bowen never play college basketball and Silvio D'Souza gets suspended for two years. And then the multi-million dollar coaches are just riding along. No issues to date, yeah. but that is the system that's in place. I find it unfair just as you do. Um, circling back, what I would have liked to have done if I were, um, if I were in charge of the incident, I had a voice there. And regardless of what the rule book says is allowed, not allowed, like let's just get creative and let's do something sensible. That is um, something I think most people could agree with. I would have said uh, uh, Silvio D'Souza cannot play the rest of the season, but at the end of this semester, he can transfer to any D- Division One university he chooses, and he will be eligible to play next season. That way, you're not further punishing him because he by all accounts, didn't know what was happening. But you're also not allowing Kansas to um, benefit going forward from a player who is only on its campus because somebody was paid to send him to that campus. And that's why, honestly, I think the NCAA would have been better off permanently ruling if you're not going to accept my my proposal, which is, let him transfer at the end of the semester and let him play next season. He's just basically he's allowed to play anywhere next season other than Kansas because we're not going to let Kansas benefit from a player who's only on campus because somebody was paid to send him there. Um, it's why I, if you're not going to accept that, I would have ruled him permanently ineligible before I just did two years. Because think about this. What if he decides to stick this out for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. And he's on that team in the 2020-21 season. And, again, let's just play along. Um, he becomes one of the best players in the country. And Kansas goes out and wins a national championship. Can you imagine the outrage if Kansas someday were to win a national title by by using a player in a prominent role who the NCAA has already determined only was ever on the Kansas campus because somebody was paid to send him there? Like, if you're the NCAA, you just can't let that happen. Um, and... I, I don't even know why that's so hard to, to grasp. And like some of the Kansas fans, the the, the reactions to this is um, has been hilarious. Like they keep bringing up Josh Selby. They say, okay, we understand Silvio had to be punished, but like this is excessive. Because if you remember, Josh Selby took even more impermissible benefits and he only suspended nine games. 
I guess I would just say it seems unwise to voluntarily bring up your own sketchy past with impermissible benefits <laughs> as a way to, to, to criticize um, a current NCAA ruling. Kind of like getting caught cheating on your girlfriend and then saying, you know, when I got caught cheating on my last girlfriend, she only left me for a month. So I don't understand why you'd break up with me forever when she didn't, because like I cheated on her way worse than I cheated on you. It's like what? Like you, you might just want to leave all that out of it, just sort of focus on the present. Uh, but regardless, I, I just don't see how the NCAA can allow, on a very basic level, I don't understand how the NCAA can allow. And, and right now, it's still technically possible, even if he doesn't win his appeal. If he wants to stay at Kansas, he can play not next season, but the season after that. I don't understand how you can let Kansas use a player to maybe win a championship who you've already determined is only on campus um, because somebody was paid to send him there. That's where, again, this is different than the Dewan Hernandez thing. Dewan Hernandez knowingly accepted impermissible benefits, but nobody is suggesting the reason he's at Miami is because he was given impermissible benefits. He went to Miami, and then an agent, in, in the way the story goes, um, was hooking him up, hooking him up in, in an attempt to represent him someday. But he was at Miami, far as we know, he was at Miami because that's just where he decided to go to school, not because somebody paid him to go to school there. Silvio D'Souza is only at Kansas because somebody was paid to send him to Kansas. And now someday Kansas is still going to have a chance to maybe win a Big 12 title with him? That just seems crazy to me. Uh, I, 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 we, are, uh, we are way deep on this, on this topic here. So I, and I, I only bring this up as a, as a – I don't even know if it's a devil's advocate. Kansas and self – and that staff would argue that actually Silvio chose and wanted to be there. So I'll, I'll say that if, if, if it was simple as Silvio D'Souza wanted to go to Kansas, then you don't have to agree to pay somebody $20,000 to make sure he does. I understand that. I'm just, I, I'm just putting it out there at least that the, cause I think, I think in the statement from Friday, self actually said, I feel like that was out there on Friday. I might be misremembering that. I don't have it right in front of me, but I thought this that they had even made the specific note to say that, you know, Silvio chose to come here, he wanted to be here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, I mean, what else are you going to say? I know. Like, I got you. I got you. I actually, it, by the way, it, it, in, yeah. Listen, let me say this. In fairness, in complete fairness, um, I will accept that it might be true that that is where Silvio wanted to go to school. But I, I, you also have to acknowledge that the Guardian clearly had – um, the juice in this situation. And, you know, when you are an adult dealing with a teenager, it is not difficult. Ask any coach who's ever been caught up in one of these deals. It is not difficult to manipulate a situation and convince a young person over time, no, 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 where you really want to be is at Kansas. You know, you control the recruitment. You can keep certain coaches away. You can trash certain circumstances. And you might be doing it because your motivations are all pure, or you might be doing it because somebody's promised you $20,000 if you do it. So uh, I'll, I'll accept that maybe Silvio really did just always dream of being a Jayhawk, but that ain't really how the reporting on his recruitment went down. Everybody was shocked when he, when he said um, he was committing to Kansas. Shocked. You know, you don't get shocked. When somebody commits to a school, they've always you've always thought because they've always said that's where they wanted to go to school. So uh, I'm just gonna like, however it went down exactly. Um, I I feel comfortable still saying uh, the main reason Silvio D'Souza was ever on campus campus at Kansas is because somebody was paid to push him in that direction. And I don't know how you can let a school benefit, um, you know, from a player that it's been determined. You know, those were his circumstances. All right. Over under, it's February 3rd as we record this podcast. Over under April 1st, Silvio D'Souza announces that he is going to pursue a professional career. I would assume that he's going to wait this appeal out, you know, because, you know, what difference does it make right now? You know, Kansas is going to appeal. There's no real timetable is my understanding. Um, but I... If you've already waited it out this long in hopes of maybe playing again in college, then I don't understand why you wouldn't just wait out the appeals process unless you assume there's a 0% chance that it'll be successful. And I don't think there's ever a 0% chance when it you know comes to the NCAA because they're, they're, they're wildly inconsistent. You never know what they're going to do. If I were them, I would deny the appeal for the reasons I've already stated, but they might grant it. You know who knows? I doubt it. So I, I doubt it. I, I would assume he 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 sets this out like he's going to just ride this out. I should say, 
But if the appeal is denied, then he'll he'll I would assume leave school and embark on a professional career in whatever form. But I, I don't think he's going to leave school before the appeal is is determined one way or another. Okay, that wasn't a direct answer because I know you don't know the timeline. But we'll I'm going to say over so <laughs> over April first. You'll over April first. Yeah, he won't he won't before April first announce he's leaving school. Yeah, that's that's my guess. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I you know I, I think that's probably probably right. But I. I do think he leaves school eventually. I don't think he ever plays uh, for Kansas again. Okay, that's 30 minutes. Let's move on and get into some actual basketball results of the weekend. We're going to do that in just a moment, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So, Norlander, uh, let's start in the Big Ten um, because it was an interesting uh, weekend, specifically in the state of Michigan. I know Michigan losing at Iowa on Friday night didn't surprise you because you picked Michigan to lose at Iowa. Uh, I would have maybe done the same thing, but I refused to pick Friday night games. Then on Saturday, we got a, another upset involving a Michigan team, uh, which I do think was a surprise to everybody. Michigan State lost in OT to Indiana at home. Spartans were 13-and-a-half-point favorites, still lost. Rest in peace to Indiana's seven-game losing streak. Boy, that came out of nowhere, huh? It did. Um, which one do you want to hit on first? You want to go chronological, hit Michigan, uh, let me bask in my pick. Also, by the way, also had Maryland losing. Don't don't bypass both correct picks there on Friday night, Parish. They don't count. Friday night picks don't count. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's going to be – you know what? That's going to be our new quick uh, end, of, end of podcast segment. I'm just – 11 seconds. I'm going to pick a couple of Friday night games. Well, Parrish refuses to, although this upcoming week, we might actually have your podcast ready for you a little bit before Friday. So we'll see. We might have a, uh, we might have a twist in that. Um, <laughs> listen, Iowa played a tremendous game. Biggest win of the season. Uh, it, there were not, uh, you know, there wasn't a load of, of big time losses here, Parrish, but given Michigan losing, Michigan State losing in the way that it did, Tennessee was in a tight one and then it pulled away late. If Tennessee had lost, uh, we really would have had some calamity atop the polls, and it actually would have set up a one-versus-two Duke-Virginia matchup this weekend, uh, this upcoming weekend instead. It'll be number two versus number three. Uh, But the point I'm making here is that sometimes I feel like we can get caught up in the moment of these losses, and we forget historically that, you know, teams that make the Final Four play in the title game and win national titles, in almost all instances, they will have two or three games in a given season where – uh, you know they, they stand out as exceptions to the rule of their of their general performance. I think Michigan State falling at home for just a second time in 23 tries against Indiana. That's right, Indiana is two and 21 in the past 23 trips to East Lansing. I think that was a, a prime example. And then Iowa, which is a strong team, and actually, uh, you know, Luca Garza, quality big man. Took advantage of Braz Dacus, who did not have, who who had another bad game for Michigan. He's been a a really good freshman, but he's he's really hit some walls here or there. Just a fantastic outing for the Hawkeyes, getting a, a, a you know a signature win and getting that much closer to being a real NCAA tournament team. That uh, I mean, it's clearly tracking toward that now, but it's it, it took advantage of a of a big time opportunity there and was able to score a point per possession against a Michigan team that is elite defensively. So. For the Michigan loss, I don't think too much of it. Uh, you know, I still consider Michigan, which, by the way, is 20-2. The loss is both reasonable at Wisconsin, at Iowa, um, but still put Michigan in that top five to seven overall tier in college basketball. GP, I have not looked at your rankings. I don't know where you have them as of yet. I know you'll answer that momentarily. And then with Michigan State overall, you know, Indiana doing that, I was just chuckling watching this game perish because – I joked about picking them, and I didn't. I did, was never going to really pick them on the podcast. But you so outright—it's just funny. Like the one game you so outright dismiss of, like, of course, like we're not going to be idiots. We're not picking Indiana to win this game. We picked them to cover, and then lo and behold, they do it, and they do it without their leader and who coaches will tell you is their best player, Juwan Morgan. He goes down with like six minutes to go in the first half with the shoulder injury. 
dude has encountered so many of those in his career, by the way. This Juwan Morgan has just shoulder problem after shoulder problem. That sucks. And they were able to overcome it, win an OT, get a huge win. Indiana now has top three weird resume in all of college basketball. It's 13-9. and nine. It's 4-7 and seven in the Big Ten. But it has wins over Marquette, Louisville, and a road win at Michigan State. You can even if you want to mix in a Butler win. Don't know how much value that has. I don't think they'd be in the tournament if it started today, but I I can almost guarantee you that if they remain bubblicious throughout, they're going to have the best top line wins of any team. So it could be really fascinating to see what happens there. But the streak is over. IU gets back going in the right way. I've got Iowa 16th in Sunday morning's top 25 and one. I've got the Michigan team that it beat, uh, ranked fifth. I dropped Michigan State after the loss to Indiana down to ninth. The top 10 right now, if you care, and I'm I'm confident you probably don't. It's uh, one Tennessee, two Virginia, three Gonzaga, four Duke, five Michigan, six Kentucky, seven North Carolina, eight Nevada, nine Michigan State, and 10 Marquette. Um, So, yeah, I – I wasn't shocked that Iowa was able to beat Michigan. You know, Iowa's good in that building. Um, they've beaten good teams in that building before, um, even this season. But, I mean, obviously shocked that Indiana would go to Michigan State. You just, like, on a very basic level, you never expect to watch a team on a seven-game losing streak lose one of its top two players and then beat a top-ten team on the road. Like, that's just not ever supposed to happen. It obviously wasn't supposed to happen yesterday. They were a 13.5-point underdog. And if you would have, before tip-off, said, uh, they're starting at a 13.5-point underdog, and, oh, Juwan Morgan's not going to play most of the game. Well, then what does the line <laughs> jump to? You know, 15, 16, yeah. 17. So that was a massive upset. And I don't know if you saw the post-game interview, but um, Arch was asked about it. And he was like, well, you know, they missed a lot of free throws, and that gave us a chance to hang around. You know, he was basically saying we weren't perfect, and Romeo's shot at the buzzer of regulation was Ugh. just ridiculous yeah. and ridiculous in a bad way. And Arch was like, "Listen, you know, we'll take it though. <laughs> We're not going to nitpick wins at this point. <laughs> We've been losing a whole bunch lately, so uh, we'll take whatever we get. And if we if we stole." A road game at Michigan State, then we're going to be happy to, to, to snap our seven-game losing streak that way. And you're exactly right. You don't usually think of teams that lose seven straight league games being legitimate NCAA tournament at-large candidates. But there is a, a very reasonable scenario that has Indiana, you know, entering March um, with an opportunity to, to get an at-large bid. I don't think that's crazy. Uh, we'll see what happens there and see, you know, we don't have a timeline on Morgan, how long he's going to be out or not. Uh, see if he'll you know take cortisone shots and can and get back out there soon. Indiana now does um, it gets its next two at home. Iowa, see how that respond how they respond. That's on Thursday, and then uh, then Ohio State, and then at Minnesota. We'll see. I don't know. They have a lot of work to do, but um, yeah, their their resume is just shaking out in a really uh, in a funky way. They, they they need to accrue more wins in, in a big way, and I would I would argue um, help themselves significantly if they can steal one of their three remaining road games. At least one at Minnesota, at Iowa, and at Illinois before uh, they get to the end of the season. Those are their only road opportunities. I think they got to get at least one of those to uh, also boost their overall chances. But we wait and see as the uh, as the net rankings refreshed. Indiana bumped from 44 to 50. If for people that are curious on that, and um, uh, Wofford, 28th. So that's our that's our you know podcast update that's going to be happening the rest of the way. Wofford. 28th. That means they are a quad one opponent regardless of venue. Shouts to the Terriers. Shouts to Spartanburg. Um, of these two things, what was the more ridiculous? Virginia Tech winning by 23 at NC State and holding NC State to just 24 points or Memphis falling behind 27-1 to at USF, which leads to Jeremiah Martin scoring 41 points all in the second half to uh, in a comeback attempt that came up just short. I mean, those are some really wild things. A uh, ACC team being held to 24 points in a game, an AAC team falling behind 27 and one, and not like to Virginia, but to a USF team that is vastly improved, but still entered yesterday just four and four in the American. And then Jeremiah Martin getting 41 points in the final 20 minutes of a game. What? Which are the? That was all kind of ridiculous stuff, right? Yeah, man. Sometimes I love the sport because it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we had that yesterday uh, with the Memphis thing. 
and I know you're going to eventually return serve on this. I'll just I'll say this. The you know, the start of that was absurd. Um at, at, you know, as since Penny Hardaway's people are jealous of us and my NBA background, they've dropped two straight and they got off to that brutal start, back-to-back losses. I'll be at both on the road. Memphis is 13 and 9. I think this is about going what I thought it might be for him, but Jeremiah Martin dropping 41 and a half is just stupid. He is one of according to uh Sports Reference, I looked it up. It, it Sports Reference's data has 61 players outscoring NC State alone. I since uh, got a number of responses on Twitter that said, well, this player wasn't accounted for and this player wasn't accounted for. And one person in particular said, actually, the number is 77 players. So whatever, it's, it's, it's at least 61 or as many as 77 players on Saturday outscored NC State. GP, this is, this is bonkers. I mean, bonkers. Ranked team at home going against... Uh, a Virginia Tech team that is good. Don't get me wrong; like they're they're good, but Virginia Tech played like crap as well. It played terribly, put forty seven points on the board, and won in blowout fashion. You never see this ever, and I mean ever. This is the lowest in the shot clock era, but we're talking a ranked team at home in the mixed NCAA tournament. It scores twenty four points. It scored two in the first ten minutes of the game. It managed four in the final. 10 minutes of the game. It averaged 0.45 points per possession. It, I think this is so notorious that if NC State gets into the tournament, and we'll see what other wins it can have, it's going to be like a home loss to a quality team almost is never going to cost you a seed line. I think this will. It is It is so egregiously terrible. I, I, I don't get it. This is the there's that famous uh, screen cap and I think I think someone um, someone messed around with a graphic but there's that famous <laughs> there's that famous college football screen cap with uh, with Beamer and Vatek is going to overtime with Wake Forest and zero zero and he's got his hands up like he won the national championship. This right. is that for college basketball. You have a 47-24 final, um, just so weird. Last thing on this, NC State was 27th in Ken Palm and 22nd in offensive efficiency at the start of this game. It is now 42nd in Ken Palm's rankings. A 15-point switch, regardless, this late into the season when you're dealing with 20-plus games worth of data is outrageous and dropped from 22nd offensive efficiency. Now it is 56th overall. It is... uh, it is hard to do more damage to your resume in one game against a major conference opponent that's ranked than what NC State did. Uh, I texted Buzz Williams after the game. I was just like, what in the world was that? And he, he texted back. He said it was bad ball, but it was a good fight. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know if people realize, the Memphis weird game and the NC State weird game were both happening at the same time. And obviously, one involves two ranked teams and the other involves two unranked teams. So there's a larger audience for NC State Virginia Tech than Memphis USF. I had them both on. And so people are tweeting, oh, my God, are you guys watching NC State? This is embarrassing. Have you seen these? And I'm like, are you dudes checked out Memphis yet? Like Memphis was performing worse than NC State. And NC State was performing at at an ACC all-time low. I mean, it was crazy. And, you know, to your point about Penny – I, yeah, I've got some, obviously I have a lot of friends who are Memphis fans, like I, I live in the Memphis area, but um, some of them are sensitive to the criticism. So, you know, Jeff Goodman and Jeff Eisenberg and other people were getting their jokes off, right? About, you know, Penny Hardaway saying earlier in the week that other coaches were jealous of his staff. And so now, you know, everybody's got jokes and they're like, why is every, you know, my friends are like, why is, why is Goodman hate Penny? And I'm like, I don't think Goodman hates Penny. I think just when you say what Penny said, um, and create headlines with words. Anytime somebody's got an opportunity to get jokes off, they're going to get your jokes off. It's a little bit, to a lesser degree, like the Jalen Ramsey situation with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Remember when he was just talking crazy about every quarterback? Yeah. Like Ben Roethlisberger sucks and Matt Ryan sucks. It didn't really matter if he was right or wrong. He was just like calling out all these guys. And so then this past season, every time Jalen Ramsey could be for a touchdown, 
especially if it was by a quarterback who he had criticized, like it was all over Twitter. I seen J- Jalen Ramsey. I watched that dude get beat for more touchdowns this season than I watched anybody else. And I don't even know if that, like, he might be awesome or had a bad year. I don't even know. I just know that every single time he got exposed, it was a big deal that everybody wanted to bring attention to because of the way, because of the things he said in the preseason. And with Penny, um, this past week, it's the exact, it's the exact same thing. Like when you're going to create headlines with words, people are going to be very anxious to um, to, to to put those back on you as quickly as they can, um, as intensely as they can. And when you say that on a Monday and then spend the week getting blown out at Tulsa and then falling behind 27 to one at USF, well, then, uh, you know, you get what you get. You get what you get. And I didn't really fully get embarrassed. I am begging you not to go back into like – a radio segment you did this week, but I, 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 I'm, I'm truly begging you. But I, I didn't quite get where he was coming from because I have not felt as though that's the case. Now he might have, he and his staff might have a certain um, perspective on this that they feel like other people are jealous of them. I don't think that's the case, but whatever it is. It has not been short. I mean, it's been glorious for you. There's no doubt about it. He has he has provided that program for many reasons has provided a lot of uh, good copy, things to discuss. This is the latest, and now after saying it, has dropped two games, and his team is not good in the process. Jeremiah Martin's uh, Superman impression excluded overall, but um, but we'll we'll wait and see again. This was always just the test year. Let's just see how things go. The more real analysis on Hardaway and his staff and their coaching and what they can do will come once Wiseman's on campus. So North Carolina won at Louisville and Kentucky won at Florida. We're going to get into those games next. uh, But first, here's this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So UNC won at Louisville, UK won at Florida, Norlander. I wrote about one, you wrote about the other. Which is the more impressive win? Uh... I think it was the game that you wrote about Parrish. I think I think I would lean toward Carolina, uh, not you know not just because it's a revenge win. I, you know, frankly, the better team, um, Louisville's better than Florida. Now the way that Kentucky won was impressive to me in that it's Kentucky is is showing that it can win in, in different ways. Like if you watch that game through the first you know seventy five percent of it, you saw a, a Florida team that looked to be in control and and on the verge of getting a really important win. And then Kentucky just it locked him down defensively that was in a way that was really impressive. Kelton Johnson, after being inconsistent, hit some good shots, made some good plays. P.J. Washington was consistent. Tyler here, excuse me, Tyler Hero as well. But North Carolina was looked like such a more motivated and different team against Louisville than the home loss so that it that it had, uh, that it had taken on, and that was the last time that UNC has lost. So a big win for UNC, which is now. I think Kentucky and UNC and getting their wins yesterday, by the way, they are um, – I we've maintained that Kentucky's right there in terms of national title contenders. I don't know if UNC has been there and dropped out and been there, whatever. Uh, but my point is those two teams now, particularly in light of the Michigan schools losing, like we are we – are, you know, it's hard to get our arms around all the teams at this moment that are, that are in that discussion from, you know, the Virginia and Duke, Gonzaga, Tennessee – the Michigan schools throw Kentucky and North Carolina in there if you want as well, and um, and heck Kansas you know by the way gets the DeSouza news and just destroys Texas Tech that was an impressive performance by them and they got some uh, good stuff out of uh, Dotson and Abaji so anyway uh, I was a little more impressed with UNC but both teams get good wins and the top shelf of college basketball continues to to seem relatively thick. Uh, Roy uh, sat down at his post-game press conference at the Yum Center on Saturday, and he said, I just feel like Chris and I 
switch spots from where we were three weeks ago. And that really is what happened. Like Louisville went into Chapel Hill and just overwhelmed Carolina start to finish. And then three weeks later, Carolina goes into the Yum Center and just overwhelms Louisville from start to finish, completely destroyed them um, on the glass. I put this in the column. I don't know if you saw it, but Louisville missed 36 shots in the game and only grabbed seven offensive rebounds, which means North Carolina had a defensive rebounding percentage of 80.6. That's a better rate than any in the any team in the nation uh, currently possesses on the season. And then on the other end of the court, uh, North Carolina grabbed 18 of the 40 field goal attempts it missed, uh, which means UNC had an offensive rebounding percentage of 45.0, and that's a better rate than all but one team in the nation currently possesses on the season. So they just absolutely ate them up, had no problems, and had no problems even though Leaky Black wasn't involved. No Leaky Black, and they get it done, GP. That was uh, that was you know all the more impressive. But I believe that this was another one that I had. I thought I think you took Louisville on the Friday. No, I, oh, I did not. You're gonna have to check the tape <laughs> on that one. I uh, I took I took North Carolina. I actually expanded on the thought. I said I know that it makes no sense to watch Louisville pound North Carolina, North Carolina, and then think that Louisville's gonna lose at Louisville to North Carolina to the same team three weeks later. But it would be the perfect college basketball thing. Like that's the type of thing that happens in college basketball all the time. And so I will take the Tar Heels on the road. We were in agreement on this game. It honestly was a lot like uh, what happened in Oxford yesterday. Just a few weeks ago, Ole Miss goes to Mississippi State, beats Mississippi State. Here we are, mm-hmm. another Saturday. Mississippi State goes to Ole Miss, beats Ole Miss. Like, these things happen. I'm not saying they make sense, but they happen fairly regularly in college basketball. They do, and that's why uh, that's why we love it and we have a good time. Overall, though, um, not you know, I, I say it's somewhat noisy weekend, but not an exceptionally noisy weekend overall. Uh, Two-player performances to shout real quick. Makai Mason of Baylor dropped 40 as they won again. And Chris Clemens, who uh, I believe you've talked about on Inside College Basketball recently, and I know we mentioned on the podcast, he is, uh, he is trending toward – um, 3,000 points in a hurry. He had 39, and I don't know if that team's going to get to the tournament or not. I really hope it does because, uh, listen, everyone loves the NCAA tournament, a small school team with a dude under six feet who can just straight ball. Clemens is one of the best ever in, in, in that exact mold, at, at that role, and uh, he uh, he went out and did it again. Campbell won. We'll wait and see if they can get into the tournament, but he should be at 3,000 points before we get to March. Um, Dedrick Lawson also had another big game for Kansas. Um to, I, I, that Big 12 Player of the Year, we go back and forth from like it, it's obviously Dedrick Lawson to maybe Jared Culver sneaks in there, but um, Dedrick had an, another big game and that was a huge win for Kansas. To your point on Baylor, um, that's now six in a row, and like it's like 30 points at Oklahoma, 26 points over TCU. Um, John Gassaway tweeted earlier today the efficiency numbers just from Fev. I don't know, maybe January 1st through today. I don't remember the specifics. Maybe it was from the start of, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, but Baylor is like the best team, is playing mm-hmm. better than anybody else in the Big 12 right now. I did not put Baylor in the top 25 and one, but I actually wrote about them um, extensively in the post. Just explaining that, because Fran Fischilla from ESPN tweeted that Baylor is going to be ranked on Monday. And I think Baylor could be ranked on Monday. I don't know that it's a guarantee. But the argument for them would be exactly what Gassaway tweeted, which is they're playing better than anybody else in the Big 12 right now and have been for a little while. Um, the argument against them is, and this is where I fall, I'm more of a body of work guy than a who's hottest right now guy. I know you and I address, um, approach our rankings differently, and that's fine. It's all subjective, and there's different ways to do this. But I am, am mostly a body of work guy, and they still got two horrific losses on that resume. I think it's a Texas Southern loss and a Stephen F. Austin loss. Simply put, nobody with losses like that, multiple losses like that, is even sniffing the top 25 and one. The idea that I considered Baylor, despite those dings on the resume is evidence of how well they've been playing. But um, I will not use the Politex column on anybody who ranks Baylor on Monday because it's a reasonable thing to do, even if uh, even if I'm not doing it. Scott Drew would probably, and you know, keep in mind that three weeks ago we'd have said Chris Beard is absolutely, so this stuff can change. But you were voting today. You you 
maybe have to go Scott Drew, Big 12 Coach of the Year. I think so. When my ranking, my power rankings, which are obviously weekly, they update Thursday. If Baylor wins at Texas on Wednesday, I'm going to have no choice. Mine is more of a how have you done in, in recent weeks, if not days, and how have you looked doing it. And Baylor's been incredible from three-point range. And if they win there, they're going to be seven and two at that point in the in the Big 12. That I'm going to have to put them and squeeze them in. Um, and actually, you know, from a rankings perspective, uh, the teams that are in that 15 to 16 range, all the way into you know, even though they don't land on the page, but you know, 20 to 23, it's it's been kind of a cram. It's been a t- it's been a tough squeeze as of late. And now you you get Baylor in there, it's uh it's another one as well. But uh, but yeah, anyway, we wait we wait and see on that. You want to make our Super Bowl picks? Do you have a Super Bowl pick? <laughs> what do you mean? Of course I have a Super Bowl pick. Why would I not have a Super Bowl pick? Share your Super Bowl pick then. All right, I'm going to share mine, and you're going to share yours with a score too. I hope I'm going to go with Scoragami. Do you know what Scoragami is, GP? No idea what you're saying right now. Okay, Scoragami is a is a cool little deal here. I think it was uh, the term was either the the idea or the term was uh, originated by John Boy of uh, of SB Nation. Scoragami is when a score in an NFL game happens. That has never happened before. So, for example, as you would obviously be able to guess, like the score seventy to forty-eight has never happened in an NFL game. If to, if the Super Bowl ended, and it's not going to, but if it did end with Rams seventy, Patriots forty-eight, that would be an NFL scoreagami. So, my official prediction will be a scoreagami, however unlikely it is to be. And weirdly enough, I, you would think that in, in the history of the professional National Football League, we would have had a 25-18 to 18 final, but it has never happened. So, I'm going Patriots 25, Rams 18, NFL scoregami. What is your pick, GP? How do you even get to 25? Is it three touchdowns, and what do you do? How do you get to 25? You get, you get a touchdown in there, maybe a uh, missed extra point, a uh, weird combination of field goals, maybe a mix in a safety. You can get there. I mean, there's listen, there's there's been... There's been 25-13 games. There's been 25-14 and 25-12 and 25-10 and 25-6 games before. There's just never been a 25-18 game. Going Rams, 34-27. Okay. Um, you follow the NFL more closely than I do. Isn't it true that the Rams have been considered the better team all, basically all season? Um, I, I, yeah, yes. I would say more yes than no. By the way, 34-27 has been an NFL final 46 times, just so you know. But, yes, um, that is true, but I don't think the gap is that big. Okay, but I'm going to get three points with uh, Sean McVay the GOAT and Wait, Sean what? McVay's GOAT girlfriend. <laughs> You're calling Sean McVay the GOAT when he's going against Belichick? What? I think Sean McVay's the GOAT already. It seems pretty clear to me. <laughs> Can't just be throwing around goat terms like this. This is this is actually one of my side. Like, who cares? But like, people drop like this goat stuff in sports now. It's just it comes. It becomes so commonplace. Like, what does it even mean anymore? But anyway, thirty-two years old, a brilliant offensive mind in the Super Bowl and got a smoking hot girlfriend. He's the goat. I'll tell you what. If the Patriots lose this game, it will mark back-to-back seasons in which, and we'll see how the game plays out. Um, it will mark back-to-back seasons in which the Patriots would have lost the Super Bowl against a coach with an innovative approach to the game. And Belichick gets credit for that as well, but um, but that would be a, a theme because what Doug Peterson and the Eagles did last season, uh, obviously with the, with the Philly special and, and kind of helping clinch that Super Bowl, just keep an eye on that. Um, New, England, New England's quarterback was born the same year I was born. We really out here trying to pretend somebody born the same year I was born going to win a dude, Super Bowl? Tom Brady, yeah. is, not, Tom Brady is not 49. That's not true. What are you talking I, about? Every time I say, because I said this the other day to somebody, I was like, Tom Brady was born the same year I was born. And they're like, there's no way. And I'm like, I know I know he looks older than me, but it's true. Tom Brady is is only uh, like six months younger than I am, but both born in 1977. All right, and where are you going to watch the game here, GP? I'm actually hosting a Super Bowl party at Fitz Casino in Tunica with Jerry the King Lawler, wrestling icons. Me and Jerry the King down in Tunica That's this afternoon. GP you have lived some life uh, uh, <laughs> the fact that you're watching this with Lawler it, <laughs> how did this even happen um on honestly well like it is kind of cool for me on a very you know basic level i grew up idolizing jerry lawler like you cannot overstate how big wrestling was in memphis like this is where andy kaufman uh went through his wrestling thing it all happened in memphis you know, all the big guys came through here at one time, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, 
um, The Rock, every like Memphis wrestling was the thing. It was Memphis's, I think, first real professional sports franchise. They had the Mid South Coliseum that seated like nine, ten thousand people, and it was sold out every Monday night for Memphis wrestling. And Jerry Lawler was the biggest star. And so when you're talking about the biggest figures in my childhood, it wasn't like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. It was like Keith Lee and Jerry Lawler. And now, and then over the years, I've, I've, you know, because of my job, I've, I've been in the same circles as Jerry, and we've gotten to know each other. Um, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're certainly friendly. Like when we see each other, it's always, "Hey, how you doing?" And like the seven-year-old me, you know, thinks that's the coolest thing in the world. Um, as it relates to this today, I don't know. Like Fitz just reached out to me and said, "Hey, would you be willing to?" host a Super Bowl party with Jerry Lawler, you know, here's what here's what we can pay you and here's what we can do as far as rooms and dinners and it all seemed like uh it all seemed like it's worth doing. So that's where I will be uh a little later on uh today. I'll be down in Tunica at the sports book and at the Fitz Casino with Jerry the King Lawler. I might even wear his crown for a minute if he'll let me. I think you should and try and get a photo of that. That should be a that should be a good time. Me, you know, with the uh with still the baby four months old. Right. We'll be just chilling. Uh, and actually, that's not the worst thing. Sometimes it is. Uh, it's it's totally fine just to hang out at home with the family, take in the. Uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this: when you go to Super Bowl parties, I find, and I don't, I don't really, I really don't care that much about uh, the commercial creativity as much as I guess maybe I once did. But when you're at a party, you never really hear the commercials and the stuff that people wind up talking about the next day. In fact, even the game, you often, you know, it's, it's hard to focus on and. Uh, I'm not that invested in the game this season. I'm still recovering from my from my Bears loss in uh, in just tragic fashion. But uh, but yeah, just uh, get to chill at home here. And then once the Super Bowl once the Super Bowl's over, you know NBA more so than college basketball. But basketball at large really does um, take up a lot of the attention in the in the sports world as it rightfully should. And uh, hey, I'm eager, man. February's here, and believe it or not, as we record this, GP. Is it six weeks to Selection Sunday? I think that's the number. It's it's coming fast. I, I, I you're gonna have to ask Rothstein. He'll know right off <laughs> okay. the top of his head. Okay. He he would he he's got it counted down to the day. But it is uh it is approaching fast and um yeah it's that time of the year. I mean you, you know when I realize what makes me realize more than anything else that football is over, and that I I guarantee this happens to you too the amount of radio requests you get starts to triple starting tomorrow because people aren't talking football anymore because it's over. Yes. Um, you'll, there'll be way more requests for college basketball guests on radio shows than there has been in November, December. Does that happen to you every year? It does, and I think some of the radio uh, hosts actually listen to the podcast, so we thank you. I'm, I'm going to put this out here right now. This year, because I'm like a, uh, a work-at-home dad with two kids, like, I just can't do them. I, I, as Paris knows, we have to juggle so many things with our schedule, even to make these podcasts happen when we can do them. It, like the the idea of going on radio shows, and I am super appreciative of the opportunities. But if you want to do it eleven o'clock on a Wednesday night, like I think I can turn that. But three o'clock in the afternoon, when I could easily have two kids screaming their heads off and crying, it's just not feasible. But yes, you're right. It. Uh, the, the content of sports radio adjusts in a hurry after this. And then once March hits, it's the great irony. Like, that's when they really, really want you on. And we're never busier than in March, like, ever. It's, it's, we have no I, free time. So I'm glad you brought this up and because um, I feel guilty all the time because I have to either ignore or decline radio opportunities. And I feel guilty, uh, A, on a, on a, you know, just for obvious reasons. But also, like, I host a radio show where I need people to take time out of their day to be on my show. So then like, I feel a little ridiculous, like declining the same opportunities on other people's shows. But the truth is like, we have so much stuff going on. It's, it's very hard for me to do anything additional to what I'm already obligated to do every day. You know, I fly every Monday and then on Tuesdays I wake up in New York. Um, I have to rank stupid ass basketball teams. <laughs> then, I, then I have to do a radio show. Then I have to, Go do a television uh, – television. I'd be in a television studio till 1 a.m. Then on Wednesday, I wake up, record a podcast, rank basketball teams, do another two-hour radio show, then television all night. Then Thursday, I'm flying straight into town, do a radio show. Then Thursday night, I reintroduce myself to my children. Then on Friday morning, wake up, rank basketball teams, uh, podcast, do another radio – like – 
I feel bad when I have to tell people, you know, I really don't have time. But it's like we really don't have time. And I don't want to get too much into your personal life, but like you juggling a lot every day um, in at home while you're trying to work. And like it really does become overwhelming. So I guess what I'm saying is this. If we um, aren't able to appear on a radio show, if your producer asks us to, please know that um, we we wish we could. But the days are ridiculous right now. <laughs> they are. But uh, but yes, still try and make time regardless not asking for any listeners to share pity on us because uh, we love doing this podcast, love our listenership, and this is the you know it's it's the busiest, but it's also I do believe like the, February and March. I just love this time of year. I really really do. Um, so hey, hopefully we get a su- great Super Bowl on CBS. Obviously it's another tight one with the Patriots. It seems like every one they win is decided by three points or fewer. We wait and see. Um, but uh, we both have – no, you have the Rams winning, and I have the Pats winning, and also let the record show you are not willing to make a Friday pick on a Friday podcast. However, you are willing to make a Sunday pick on a Sunday podcast. Mm. Mm. You might, yeah. caught me in a spot there. I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and, and by the way, speak for yourself. I do want listeners to show pity on me. Yeah. So you don't have to with Norlander, but I would appreciate it if you would recognize <laughs> just how, how overwhelming my life can be. Um, sometimes. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. You guys have been great about doing that. Thank you so much if you've already done it. If you haven't yet, it only takes a minute, less than even. So go do that. Subscribe. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Uh, favorable comments. And uh, I'll owe you forever and appreciate you for even longer than that. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning, maybe even late Tuesday night. So check your feed uh, first thing Wednesday morning. If it's not there by then, it'll be there shortly. Till then, take care.